Y'all doing well? Good. Fantastic. I'm excited uh, and honored to introduce our guest uh, speaker today. Uh, Pastors Stan and April Lester have been at Cross Point Church in Dalton, Georgia since 2008 and uh, very successful pastors there. And I'm excited that he has graced us uh, with his presence to deliver God's word this morning. We were, uh, of course, here at the 945 service and did an amazing job. The Lord used him. I expect nothing less, Pastor Stan, today. But would you welcome to the Mount Perrin North stage, Pastor Stan Lester. Yeah, good morning, North. Man, you look fantastic today. I know you already know this, but man, aren't you glad for the leadership team that you have around here? Pastor Kirk, your entire lead team. I mean, amazing, amazing, amazing. Pastor is an absolute great leader in the kingdom, uh, one of the best I know, and I know you love and honor him. I'm glad he could get away for the weekend. I'm honored to be here today, so excited to be here with my wife, April, a dear friend, Janet Kane, is with us today. Man, I am thrilled to be here. Love how you are worshiping God. How many of you love to come together on Sunday morning and worship, right? You feel like, man, let's sing it a little bit longer, right? So good. It's really important because when we're worshiping like that, we are setting atmosphere. We are creating environment, right? The Bible says, in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy, that God inhabits the praises of the people of God like us. So what we're doing in those moments is we're getting ourselves in the environment where God can do something amazing and something great, which is really, really important because because it feels very much like modern culture oftentimes is going a different direction than what we believe scripture and God says we're supposed to go. So in those moments, it's critical that we find ourselves in the right environment so that we can grow and learn and continue to be everything that God has has called us to be. And really, it's not unusual. You know, the last three years have been very difficult in, in many ways, a lot of different challenges, a lot of different uh, obstacles and, and things that we've had to deal with. And, and, and I've heard the word oftentimes, especially early on uh, in, in that three-year period, I've heard the word unprecedented. They heard it over and over. These are unprecedented times. And, and maybe they were for us, but the reality is that, 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 that humanity has always dealt with challenges and struggles and pains and difficulties. It's not a matter is, of if you're going to deal with them. It's a matter of how you are going to deal with them. And, and so for us as believers, we have to deal with those things the right way. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 137, there's a group of, of Jews who are the people of God who have been exiled to Babylon and, and in Babylon, they longed to be back in Jerusalem. They longed to celebrate the feast. They longed to be with their people. They longed for the, for the, the city of God and their, and their homeland. And yet they had been exiled for years and years. And, and, and their captors began this challenging kind of inquiry of them. And let me read it to you in Psalm 137, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and we wept because we thought about Jerusalem We put our harps upon the trees and on the branches of the poplars and our captors demanded of us a song and our tormentors insisted of us 
sing one of the songs of, of Jerusalem. So get the picture. They're in captivity. They're away from their homeland. It's a different culture. It's painful. It's challenging. And those who have carried them away captive are making fun of them. The culture, the present culture is telling to them, who are the, those who are godly, hey, why don't you sing us one of those songs? They're, they're taunting them. They're, 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 they're goading them. They're trying to get them to, uh, to, to, to kind of do something. That, that, that they, they say this. They say, listen, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land. One translation says a strange land. One translation says a pagan land. In other words, how can we in a culture that doesn't honor the things of God, how do we sing the songs of the Lord? Psalm 137 is a bit of a troubled psalm because Psalm 137 doesn't really give us a great answer. It doesn't really answer that. They ask the question and then you're waiting for the next verse to say, and, and here's how you do it. And, and, and it just never unfolds clearly as to how to sing the song of the Lord. So you dig deeper in some of the other scriptures and take into context, maybe even some of the other Psalms. And, and you realize that there are certain things that we can do as the people of God who, who oftentimes find ourselves, maybe not in the same situation, but similar situations where it feels like, God, we're, we're going in a different direction than what it seems like culture's going in. Let me read to you one of the answers in Psalm 16, verse 11. Here's what the psalmist says. You'll show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God, you'll show me the path of life, and when you show me the path of life, I will be in your presence and in your presence, in the right environment, there'll be fullness of joy in my life, and you'll give me pleasure, you'll give me delight forevermore. In other words, when we find the path of God, when we find the plan of God for our life, and we walk in that plan, then there's a joy to our life. There's a fulfillment to our life. There's a significance to my life. Psalm 16 gives us the key to flourishing that when we're in the right environments, we thrive. That when we get ourselves in the right environment, we find the place where we can break forth, maybe break out of some things and experience everything that God calls for us. He says, we'll flourish in the right environment. Listen to another scripture, Psalm 52, verses 12 and 13. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. You'll grow up like the cedar of Lebanon. You'll be like trees who are planted in the house of the Lord. You'll flourish in the courts of the Lord. That, that when you're planted in the right environment, you flourish. For, for some of you, the, the reason you're not flourishing right now is because you're, 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 not, you're not in the right environments. So you, you shift environments and you experience what God wants you to have. There, there's a part of our country in the western part of our nation called Death Valley. Death Valley, average temperature every year is about 107 degrees. In 2020, Death Valley hit 130 degrees. Annual precipitation, practically nothing. No rain, no, no precipitation, just barren. It, it, it's cracked and barren. As a matter of fact, I have a picture of Death Valley. Here it is. This is Death Valley. Nothing growing, nothing happening, parched, just barren. And when you look at that, you, you don't see life. And thus, they call the place Death Valley. Nothing growing, nothing happening. In the winter of 2004, something amazing happened. In the winter of 2004, over a very short period of time, a great deal of rain fell on Death Valley. I think it was about seven, eight inches of rain fell, I mean, very quickly on Death Valley. And immediately, nothing happened. 
It, it, just, it, just got, it just got rain on it. But in the spring of 2005, there was a phenomenon. And I'm going to show you a picture of the phenomenon. Here it is. In the spring of 2005, it was flush with growth. And people who study these things determined this, that Death Valley wasn't dead, that Death Valley was just dormant. That just beneath the crust of the earth that was barren and parched were the seeds of potential and in the right environment and in the right situation and in the right circumstances, if those seeds were in the right place, they would burst forth with life. And I feel like I need to tell somebody that this morning, that for some of you, you feel like, God, I don't understand where I'm walking and what's going on. And maybe for some of you, it's not, it's not to change, it's not to change kind of your 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 job. It's to just change environments, right? Maybe it's not to change your, your career path. It's to change environments. Maybe it's not to change your husband. Come on, somebody. <laughs> it's to change environments because in the right environments, things that look like they were dead you realize they were just dormant. As a matter of fact, for some of you, you have seeds inside of you that were planted there when you were a child, maybe when you were a young person, maybe in an, in an early marriage, and, and you're beginning to wonder, God, is that ever gonna happen? Are those seeds dead? Is it ever going to come to life? I'm telling you, in the right environment, whatever God said to you, God wants to bring it to pass because the word of God is forever settled in heaven. The promises of God are yes and amen. And if God said it to you, it doesn't matter how long ago he said it to you, if God said it, it's still true today and get it in the right environment and let it burst forth, right? Come on, can I get a little amen in the house today? That, that's what God, that's what God, that's what God wants for you. When you get in the right environment, you can realize the best version of you, who God intended you to be, how God intended you to be. How do we sing the song of the Lord in a strange land? How do we sing the song of the Lord in a pagan land? How do we sing the song of the Lord in a difficult land? We find ourselves in the right environment. In his presence is fullness of joy. But because what's going on around us is not nearly as important as what's going on inside of us, right? That's why Paul writes in Ephesians chapter five. Paul has great love for the Ephesians, the church at Ephesus and the people of Ephesus. He has he has his great love for them. And when you, when you read Acts and you read uh, the letter to Ephesus and you read other places, it's obvious that, that Paul has this, this, this longing and love. There, there's this sense of paternal pride with, with, with Paul as he, as he references the church at Ephesus. And he begins to talk to them. And in, in this letter, he's kind of closing the letter out and he's beginning to share with them some last minute thoughts. And he, and he says to them, listen, don't live in darkness because they were, they were people who were living in darkness. They'd been called to light. He said, don't go back to darkness. Flee all of that because, because darkness is just death. But, but live in the light. And, and, he, and he says these words. He says, because in the light, you're, you're gonna be fruitful. You're gonna be productive. Live the right way. And then he kind of sums up a big part of what he's saying in Ephesians chapter five, verse 15 and 16. If you've been around church for a while, you've heard this scripture, be careful how you live. Be careful how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise. Making the most of, 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 of your time. One translation says, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. 
And if there's a scripture that, that we should probably put to heart, it's this one right here, right? We need to recognize that we need to be careful how we live and don't live like we're unwise, but very wise. And we need to make the most of every opportunity because, because we live in a culture that desperately needs a church that understands what it means to be, to be alive. One of the great commands of the Bible that's often neglected is, is right here, make the most of what you've been given, your opportunity, your time. So I wanna talk about getting in environments and I'm gonna give you some practical points today. I'm gonna give you three of them. If you're taking notes, write them down. Here's the first one. Make choices that position you to grow. Make choices that get you in the right environments. We've had three kids and two have gone through college. One's in college now, one's a 10th grader. And we tell them the same thing over and over again. Listen, intentions are not what determine your success. The choices you make determine where you land. Get in right environments. We've talked to our kids so often about get around kids that, that, that love God. Get around kids that believe in the same things that you believe in because environments are what shape you. In other words, let me say it this way. Your choices determine your environments. Paul's not saying be cautious. Paul's saying don't miss opportunities. Don't miss the opportunities that are right in front of you. And, and, and if you think, and if you're like me, I mean, I, I, there's, there's, there's so many times I miss opportunities. Let me give you two big ones. I miss opportunities when I undervalue others. Maybe, maybe the greatest opportunities we have are right in front of us, right? Our family, our husbands, our wives, our children. Maybe they're right in front of us. And if we're not careful, we miss it. People that are around us, I, I do it all the time. I miss the opportunity to be generous, to be loving, to be caring, to be kind. I miss the opportunity to, to take time with my wife. I miss often opportunities with my kids. And then as they grow up and they leave home, I think, man, how many opportunities did I miss? But, 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 but life, busy, sometimes strangles out those opportunities, right? We're busy and we're going. And I'm just telling you this. If you really wanna get in right environments, maybe you're already in right environments with the relationships you have. Just don't miss the opportunities that are right in front of you, right? Value those in your life. I mean, we have great value for those who are in your life. When my, my daughter, my youngest daughter, we have three girls and a boy. Our youngest daughter's in the 10th grade. When she was about seven years old, she, uh, she loved to stay up late as most children do. And, uh, and uh, she would, uh, she, every night, every single night, she would, she would come downstairs and she would say, hey, can, can we, let me, let me just stay up for a little while. And I'm like, Emma, go to bed. And, and this particular night, she wanted to stay up. I said, Emma, go to bed. She said, can, can, let me just stay up for a little while, go to bed. Her knowing I'm a pastor uh, and her having a, a pretty good spiritual gift of manipulation, she says, she says to me, she says, well, 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 will you at least pray for me before I go to bed? Now, now, here's what I know. Here's what I know. She doesn't want prayer. She wants to stay up. I'm not proud of what I did. I'm just telling you. She doesn't want prayer. She wants to stay up. And then I say to her, Emma, go to bed. She said, well, you pray for me. I'm like, Emma, I said, go to bed. She said, well, you pray for me. I finally, I finally gave it. I said, come here. And I grabbed her and I pulled her to myself kind of hard. You know what I'm saying? Like parents do sometimes. <laughs> and I prayed for her and I said, Father, bless Emma. Give her a good night's sleep in Jesus' name. Amen. Now go to bed. As my seven-year-old is walking away from me, she looks back at me in disdain and says, worst prayer I have ever heard in my life. (laughs) 
As she begins to walk up the stairs, she sticks her head back around the door casing and says to me, and you call yourself a preacher. <laughs> and then I spanked her and I told her to go to die. I'm just kidding. That's, I did not do that. I didn't do that. I mean, how often in our life, how often in our life have we missed opportunities that are right in front of us because we were too busy? How often in our life did we miss the, the opportunity to put our marriage in environments for growth or are our relationships that really matter for growth? Is it possible that we're too often guilty of undervaluing the most valuable things of our life? And to that, Paul would say, be careful and realize that right in front of you, there are great opportunities. Be careful how you live. Don't take them for granted. Be careful. I mean, the greatest calling in our life are the people that God puts in our life. And while we're praying, God, use me, and God, anoint me, and God, help me, and God, open doors, God is saying, they're all around you. They're all around you. And what I have found is that when I put myself in, in, in the environment of helping people, I am, I am, I am very Christ-like at that moment. And in those moments, there's an open heaven in my life and in your life. Love people. Another, another, place, another place I miss opportunities is, is when I overvalue myself, when I, under, when I undervalue others and I overvalue myself. And, and, and the reality is, is, is we all kind of do it, right? One of the best ways to make sure that, that we make the most of every opportunity is keep ourselves in a place of humility where we don't overvalue ourselves. The God of glory who who speaks a word, he picks up the paintbrush and he begins to paint by speaking and he, 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 he casts stars into the skies and planets in their socket and he creates atoms and structures and, 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 and the earth and everything inside of it. And every time he created something, he said, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he creates man and he says, it's very good. And he wants what everyone who has ever been in love wants. He wants the person that loves them to love them because they want to love them, Right? not because they're made to love them. So God, in his justice, in his love, in his mercy, and in his desire to have meaningful relationship with humanity, after he has painted a beautiful picture of creation and everything that, he, that it is, he hands us the brush and he says, okay, now you paint the center. And we grab the brush and we did what everybody else has done throughout all eternity. We painted ourselves in the center. It's called sin. Because our default is, is self-centeredness, right? I mean, I mean, all of us, we default to being self-centered. You say, well, I don't believe that. You remember last summer when you went to the beach and you took a picture and, and, and there, was, there were 15 people and two dogs in the picture, you remember that? And they got the, you got the pictures back and you printed it off and you looked at it, you remember that? And you remember when you looked at it for the very first time, you remember that? Do you remember who you looked at the first time you looked at it? You looked at yourself. Why? It's our default. And you're, you're sitting there and you're like, you don't care about anybody else, right? Somebody say, well, grandma's got her, her eyes shut. And you're like, well, grandma's not gonna be with us very much longer. It don't matter. She's sleepy, let her be, right? Because all you care about in that moment is yourself. Because it's our, it's our default. The two words that, that, that we don't teach our kids are no and mine, right? That, no, mine. We don't send our kids to rebellion cap. They don't stay after school to be, to be tutored in being selfish. No, they learn that naturally because that's our default. And to that, God says, listen, don't overvalue yourself. 
Step into, step into the scripture with John where he says, oh, there's the Lamb of God. He's got to increase, I've got to decrease. One translation says, behold the Lamb of God. It's time for him to take center stage and for me to go side stage. And let him be the center of your life, the absolute center of your life. And what does God do when we paint ourselves in, in the center? He doesn't get angry. He doesn't get frustrated. And God doesn't respond like we think he, we, that he should respond. He doesn't get frustrated. When we pray prayers that are very self-centered, God, help me, fix me, do this. On a really bad day, if we've had a really bad day with someone, we might pray God smite them, right? Anybody? <laughs> Anybody? No hands? Me either. I've never done it. Listen. And in those moments, God doesn't get frustrated because he knows us. And he knows that Jesus came so that we could be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That he would take the wrath and the punishment of our self-centeredness. That we could understand his grace and his mercy and his goodness. God's plan and his purpose for our life has never been to be our co-pilot, right? It's always been to take the lordship place of our life. Make good choices. Why? Because when I do, I position myself in a place where I can be in the environment where God can bless and favor and give grace. And those things that seem like they're dead can come alive because of good choices. Here's the second thing. Write this one down. Live with strong convictions about what you believe. Live with strong convictions about what you believe. Here's the way Paul said it, and I know this is very practical today. Paul said it this way. Don't be, don't be unwise. Be wise. Be wise. Live what you, live what you say you, 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 you're gonna live. And maybe you're not like me, but, but I, have, I have struggled with that from time to time. You know, and I love God and I, and, I, and I live for God, but I'm talking about, I'm talking about going all into the, to the place where, where God is not just an add-on to my life, right? If there's a big sin in, 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 in Christianity, in America, especially in our part of America, it's this idea that I'll just add a little Jesus to my life. Let me say this to you. He doesn't have any interest in just being an add-on to my life. He wants to, he wants to be my life, Right? He wants to be the identity of my, and in a culture where it feels like there are things trying to capture our identity issues, that there, there, there are things that are trying to come into our life and say, make this your identity or make this your identity. He says, I want to be, I want to be that. I need to be that for you to grow and for you to be what I've called you to be. We need to teach that to our children. We have four children, two, three girls and a, and a, and a son. Our, our son's our third child, and Evan, Evan is a, a really good athlete. As a matter of fact, we just drove back from Statesboro last night. He's on football scholarship for Georgia Southern. And just a, just a, great, a great athlete, great kid. And when he left to go to Georgia Southern, from the time he was about nine years old until he left the house, it was, it was practice three days a week and running and doing. He knew he was gonna be in church on Sunday and in church on Wednesday night, but it was going just wide open. And when he got there, 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 there came a moment where I realized, you know, I feel like I made our, our identity as, as, as dad and son more about that than about God. 
to the point where I actually called him and I apologized. Now, my wife is sitting here today and she would, if she could come up here today, which she's not going to do that. I can, I mean, I, you want to come up, babe? I told you she's not going to, but if she, but if she came up here today, she would say, no, no, you're a great father. But in my mind, I felt like I made our identity more about that than about our walk with God. To the point now, and he's in the second year, that, that we talk several times a week every, at night and we we're doing devotion together. But because I want him to know that, 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 that football will have a shelf life, but your walk with God is eternal. It is forever. You're gonna be a godly man, a godly husband, a godly, a godly father. In 2013, in, uh, on, on, on two, in 2013, Eastman Kodak was trading at $35 a share. I checked on Friday, Eastman Kodak was trading at $5.71 a share. And so you wonder why the decline. Kodak was so blinded by its success that it missed the rise of, of the digital technology, which, which really makes no sense because, because the first digital camera was created in 1975 by an engineer that worked for Eastman Kodak. Was as big as a toaster, took 20 seconds to take a, a low quality image. You had to have crazy kind of connections that hooked up to a TV to even see it clearly, but it, was, it had massive disruptive potential and they knew it. Steve Sasson was the engineer, and Sasson told the New York Times that management's response to his digital camera was, that's cute, but don't tell anyone about it. Kodak invented the technology, but they didn't invest in it. Kodak invented it, but they didn't believe in it enough to go all in. And make no mistake today, that is the proposition of Christianity. The, the, the proposition of Christianity is not a little bit of religion to feel good. The, the proposition of Christianity is an invitation to go all in with God, right? So that Jesus says to people that, that if we want to follow him, he says, oh, absolutely, come, follow me, deny yourself, and take up your cross. Because he's speaking to a group of people that he understands if they don't do that, then they're not gonna make it. That if they don't go all in with him, they're not, their faith is gonna fail. Because as bad, bad as it may seem right now or over the last year or two years or three years or however long, and you say, man, it's so bad right now and things are tough and they're challenging and it wasn't that way back then. No, 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 it wasn't that way. We're all right, it wasn't. They, they were around people that were trying to kill them. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm telling you, you're gonna have to die before you ever die if you're gonna walk with me. It's gonna take something more. So the idea of, of, of walking in covenant with God is simply that it's covenant. When I married April, everything, everything, everything that I had became hers. And everything that she had became hers. kind of true, but not really. <laughs> no, covenant is about 
Covenant, covenant is not a 50-50. Am I telling the truth? Covenant's not a 50-50 proposition, is it? Covenant's all in. It's everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine. A covenant with God's the same way. We have this beautiful example of the Jews who for, for, for centuries have demonstrated all in with God. Festivals and feasts and holidays that all revolve around God. No Valentine's Day, no St. Patrick's Day, just all about God. And for us, if we're not careful, and I'm not talking about you, I'm saying me. If I'm not careful, I add a little Jesus into my life. But that doesn't really create environments. The environment that really creates productivity is, is all in with him, where I just give him everything. For some of you right now, there are areas of your life that are dormant, not because you, you don't believe that they're going to come alive. It's just you've got to get in the right environment and stay there long enough. Blessed is he who's planted in the house of the Lord, right? Not visiting, not driving by, but planted in the house of the Lord. Psalm 1 gives us another key. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or stands in the path of sinners or sits in the seat of the scornful. Listen, here's what he says. But his delight, the word is shefatz, or you'd say chefatz. The word means to pursue, to, to pursue with abandon. He delights in the law of the Lord, and in that law he meditates day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Here's what I'll tell you. Whatever you delight in, that's what you're gonna pursue, Right? because delight has progression. I wrote it this way, the more you delight in something, the more you're inclined to delight in that which you on a consistent basis delight in. Did you, anybody write that down? <laughs> the more you delight in something, the more you're inclined to delight in that which you are consistently delighting in. Let me say it this way, appetites by their very nature are never finally and fully satisfied. That's the nature of an appetite. If you eat one Krispy Kreme donut, I'm preaching now, ain't I? <laughs> you eat one Krispy Kreme donut, you want? No, nah, yes, yeah, you, that's, where, that's where you're wrong. You don't want another one. You want six more. <laughs> you want, right? It's that thing where, where your, your, head don't, your head doesn't know you're, you're full, your, your stomach's full, but don't tell your head, and you're three donuts in, and by the time you get the message, you've eaten three more, you know what I'm talking about? I don't know anything about that either. Listen, that's what it means to delight. The reason I pursued April is because I delighted in her. And, 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 and when I'm not pursuing her anymore, it's not the lack of pursuit that frustrates her. It's the lack of delight, right? Because she recognizes there's going to be moments of pursuit and there's going to be moments of busy, but delight is forever. What are you delighting in? Maybe the better question for us is what are we teaching our children to delight in? That's why the scripture says, delight yourself in the Lord. I started playing golf again recently. The worst decisions of my life. <laughs> started playing and I was reminded why I quit 10 years ago. I'm terrible, <laughs> terrible. But I go and I get online and I watch a YouTube video and it looks easy. And I think, man, that's easy. And so I take it out to the course and I do okay for a minute. And so now 
I just keep delighting in something that is still frustrating and I'm still terrible and it's still difficult, but I keep pursuing and buying stuff that I think is going to make me better <laughs> because of one word, delight. Shefats. What am I pursuing? What do I enjoy? What am I delighting in? Then ultimately, Psalm 1 would tell us that not only is delight progressive, but delight, delight is directive. That when we, when we delight in something, it, it directs our life. You want to be in the right environments that's going to produce growth in your life? Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or stands in the path of sinners or sits in the seat of the scornful. Do you see the progression? If you walk in a path long enough, you'll eventually stop and stand. And if you stand long enough, you'll eventually sit. And the place where you sit becomes the place of habitation. And the place of habitation becomes your environment. And your environment's determined. Whether you're barren Death Valley or blooming Death Valley. It's the path we take. Here's the third thing. I'm done. Make the most of the time that you've been given. Make the most of the time you have. That's what Paul says. He says, be careful how you live. Don't be unwise. Be wise. Make the most of the time you have because the days are evil. Make the most, one translation says, of every opportunity. And for us, those are right in front of us. And for us as the redemptive community, who now, Paul says, are people who have received reconciliation and now we are ministers of reconciliation, so it's not enough for us to just love Jesus, that we have to help other people to love Jesus. And so you're heading into the Christmas season where, where there's not a better time to invite people to church on a Sunday morning, which by the way, if I had a church like this with the worship like this and the excellence like this, I don't know why you wouldn't invite somebody every single Sunday morning because they're near to you but far from God. What the enemy wants us to do is he wants us to show up and enjoy our God but, 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 but not really get anyone else to enjoy him. But they, they need they need what we're bringing into their life. And if not us, then him, they're, they're right in front of make the most of your time. And there's not a better way to make the most of your time than to reach lost people, right? They're right in front of us. They're everywhere. They're hurting. I, call, I say they're, they're over church, under church, and de church. It's hard to find somebody that hadn't been to church. But they're de churched. They're disenfranchised with church. They were frustrated at church. They got hurt in church. And they're looking for a community that really does reflect the love and the grace and the mercy and the truth of God in a beautiful way. And when God finds a church that's about the lost, the hurting, the broken, the fringe, and that church is willing to go after them, here's what God will do. God will resource that church in amazing ways. He'll give you his favor, his grace, his blessing. It will absolutely amaze you. Several years ago, the same the same little girl that called me a bad pastor and a terrible prayer was, uh, was playing hide and seek one day. And uh, she was the only one playing. We weren't playing. Evan wasn't playing. I wasn't playing. But she hid under our bed. She's just a child, very small child, probably, I don't know, five, six years old. And uh, she hides under the bed and she pulls all kinds of suitcases around her. And, and we're looking for her. And, and, and we're shouting her name. And her name's Emma. And I'm saying, Emma, Emma. Not a word, not a peep. 
we live on a, on a, on a kind of a five-lane road there in Dalton, and there's a lot of traffic. And, and as we're looking for, for, for about 10 minutes, all of a sudden I have this idea in my mind or this thought in my mind and this fear in my mind that what if Emma has gone out the front door as a, as a, as a five-year-old little girl and she's walking down Walnut Avenue? And, and I was kind of gripped with fear for a moment. Now, let me tell you what I didn't think in that moment. I didn't think, well, you know, we've got four. <laughs> if I lose one, still have three. No, I wasn't thinking that. Here's something else I wasn't thinking. Thank God for this. April, appreciate this. I wasn't thinking, I'm a young man. If I lose one, let's make another one. No, I wasn't thinking that. Wasn't thinking that. As a matter of fact, in that moment when I didn't know where Emma was, the only one I was thinking of was Emma, the one that I couldn't find. And had you come to help me find her, I would have given you my car keys, I would have given you my check card, I would have given you my, I would have given you, I would have resourced you completely. And here's why, because you would have been chasing my heart. We are here on a mission. Jesus didn't come for those who were well. He came for those who were sick. And when he says to us, hey, I died, buried, rose again, and you guys go hang out in an upper room, and you're gonna be filled with the Spirit, and it's gonna be supernatural, and it's gonna be incredible, and it's gonna be empowering, but I'm not giving you that gift so that you can keep going back to the upper room over and over again to feel it over and over. I'm giving you that gift of the Spirit of God so that you can go out and make a difference in the world. And they're right in front of us, everywhere. They're the person that sits beside of us at work, they're the person that sits across from us at the lunch table at school, they're the person that's right across the street from us, they're everywhere. God finds a house like this one that'll love them. He'll resource, he'll bless, he'll favor. Don't miss, don't miss what's right in front of you. The opportunities, when he says make the most of every opportunity, it's like they're right in front of us. And if we're not careful, we completely miss it. We completely miss it. I read this story about a Turkish man. It was on the internet, it's gotta be true. It actually, it, actually, it actually is a true story. I've researched it. You're gonna love this. I'll read it to you. A Turkish man, Behan Mutlu, 50, who lives in the northwestern Bursa province, was believed to be missing Tuesday after he wandered away drunk in the forest from his group of friends. When reported missing, a search party was formed to find him. Mutlu, drunk, had fallen asleep in the forest and the next morning he awakened and he came across the search party looking for a lost man. <laughs> Mutlu unknowingly joined a search party. <laughs> to find himself. <laughs> when the volunteers began shouting his name, Mutlu became confused and asked, who are you looking for? When they said his name, he said, I'm here. The police realized the man they were looking for had joined his own search party <laughs> and gave him a ride home. Maybe the greatest opportunity 
for us to reach people is right in front of us. Maybe the greatest opportunity for us to reach people is really, really simple. Love God, love yourself, and love people. Maybe the greatest opportunity for us to reach people is to just be kind. And in a culture where it feels like in our social, social media culture where we can lob grenades on social media and, and feel like we don't have to be kind because we're not saying words, maybe what the world needs from the church is for the church to just be kind. And maybe as we're heading into Tuesday, maybe the greatest thing that we can do as a church is to pray and just love and be kind to people, right? And let me, let me say it this way. You can be kind to somebody even though you don't, don't agree with their lifestyle or their choices or, or even their politics. And just because you're kind to somebody doesn't mean you believe or you agree with their lifestyle or their choices. Because the world is watching. They're, they're peering into our redemptive communities that we call churches. And they're looking into us and they're making determinations, not about us, but about the God we serve, right? And the idea of the kingdom was that, that, that people would see our good works and not glorify us, but glorify the God that we serve. In other words, that they would peer into our kingdom and they would say, I've never seen people loving like that. I've never seen people that, that believe differently about different things, but they're one at the base of the cross and at the tomb of the resurrection and as they sit together in the upper room, right? And they're astounded and they're amazed that there's a diverse group of people, diverse on every line, that live together in unity and love the same God. Now that... That, that's worth living for. And that, that's worth dying for. And that, that creates great environments. I think it's John chapter 17, 16 or 17. I think it's John 17, May 16, where Jesus is praying. He's praying to the Father. You remember this prayer? He says, I, Father, I pray that they would be one. Which is not that difficult until he goes on and he says, as we're one. And then he says, so that the world would know. Basically, he says, so that the world would know that I, I'm who I say I am. You and I, through unity and love, have the opportunity to answer the prayer of Jesus. And when we do, put ourselves in the environment to no longer be barren, but to spring forth. And for some of you right now, man, your life, it's been, it's been a struggle the last week, the last month, the last season, the last few years. For some of you, you've asked God, God, when is this ever gonna happen? When's it ever gonna break forth? When's this season ever gonna stop? Why can't I catch a break? And all I'm telling you is quit looking at what's not happening and start positioning yourself in an environment where the reign of God can flow into your life and a miracle can happen. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes with me. I want to pray with you just like I did the first service. If you'd say, you know what, Stan, I'm a, I got some areas in my life right now that they're just, they're dormant. I don't see any life. I've got some relationships that, that, that I'm offended. I'm, I'm bitter. I'm angry. I've got unforgiveness. Maybe for some of you, you're frustrated with God. 
I've got some areas in my life right now that it feels like if something doesn't happen soon, if I don't have a breakthrough soon, that, that it's just gonna be completely dead. I got some areas in my life right now, relationally, there's some really important ones that, that we need to break through in our marriage with our kids. For some of you, it's a business. For some of you, there, 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 there's, there's challenges in, in career paths and businesses and God told you to do something and, and you keep working and pushing and, and I'm just telling you, God has a plan. If that's you, God has a plan. And in the first service, there were, there were half the room raised their hand and I think it's gonna be the same in this one. But if that's you, I've got some areas in my life that, that I need to just break forth that right now it feels a little bit dormant. Maybe it's your walk with Christ. Matter of fact, I can tell you for, for, for several of you, it is your walk with Christ. It's just, it's just not, it's not, it's not as passionate as it once was. That's not, a, that's not a, an indictment on you. It's just the reality of life. It's not that you turned and went away. It's just that, that, that life and time and busyness got you kind of distracted. And today you're, you're, you're saying, God, I recognize that and I don't want that. I wanna be in the environment where I can grow and be everything. Maybe you're watching online and, and you're, you're, you feel like, man, there's so many things just beneath the surface. If that's you, all over this room, would you just raise your hand and say, yep, that's me. Raise your hand with me. There's, there's, yep, I knew it, a bunch of us. Let me ask you this, with heads bowed, eyes closed, in a few moments we're gonna come up and give you some instruction, but every journey begins with a step. And this morning, if you'd say, you know what, Stan, I, I, I'm not following Christ. And, he, and I, mean, I mean by that exactly what I, I, I say. It's, it's not, you know, I got saved 20 years ago or whatever. No, today, I'm not living a surrendered life for Jesus Christ. And I wanna surrender my life to God today. And not about five weeks ago, five months ago, five years ago, today, I'm not living a life that's fully surrendered to him. And today, I wanna make a decision to surrender my life, begin a journey. And then they're gonna, this, this house is going to walk with you along this journey. But if that's you, would you just lift your hand up really high and say, yep, today's my day. Come on, all over this room. I wanna take that first step. All over the room, yeah, God bless you up there, man. God bless you, I see you guys. Yeah, God bless you, sweetie. Anybody else? Come on. I wanna pray with you. I saw several hands. Father, in Jesus' name, today, God, I pray for those, God, that have got areas of their life that it just feels like it's not working right now, a little dormant, a little frustrating. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would position each of them in a place, God, where, God, it doesn't mean everything's gonna just turn overnight, but God, we can position ourselves in a, the best place possible where the fullness of joy can be birthed in our heart because we're living in the presence of God, in the presence of people that love us. We're making good decisions the most of our time. God, I pray, God, that you would, God, just give breakthrough, Lord, businesses, finances, relationships, in every area, God, just bring breakthrough. And God, for those that raise their hand, God, to surrender their life to you today, God, I pray that they would delight in you fully, completely, and absolutely delight in you, that you would be the delight of their life. That God, as they surrender their life to you, God, that the transformation that happens in their life would be absolutely amazing. And that God, they would realize a newness and a freshness to their walk. So today we say yes to Jesus. If you raise your hand, just say that, Lord, just say, I say yes to you. Say, I surrender to you right now. I believe, say something along these lines, I believe that Jesus Christ, you came and died for my sin. You paid the price. I believe it in my heart. I confess that with my mouth and I surrender my life to you today. I take a first step that will be followed by other steps to walk with you. And from this day forward, you are the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise for everybody that accepted Christ today? God bless you guys. You were great. Great. And would you show your appreciation to Pastor Stan Lester as well? Thank you. You really want something to celebrate? Between our two services this morning, 13 people made a decision to surrender their lives to Christ. Amen. Come on, let's praise the Lord. Amen. Would you stand with me? If you're one of those folks in this service today that have made a decision to really surrender your life to Christ, or maybe you've done it in the past and you've never followed up on it, would you just give us two minutes right after I pray the closing prayer, right down front here, our grow team will be here. We'd love to talk with you about some next steps of what it means to to really follow Jesus, to really surrender. If you're looking for a a way to plug into this church or to find a a Bible study, a life group to to grow in your relationship with God, come down here, talk to this grow team. Just give us a couple of minutes. We would love to to help you take that next step. Hey, next week, Pastor Kirk will be back. Hopefully you'll make plans to join us and do what Pastor Stan said. Invite somebody, bring them with you as we're heading into this holiday season. It's a great time that people are receptive to, uh, to make good on an invitation and, and follow up on that invitation to come to church. Finally, as you leave today, um, one of our life groups here in, in the church is called CTAP. It stands for Citizens Taking Action and Praying. Uh, they have procured a faith-based uh, voter guide um, that is gonna be available to you in either lobby as you leave. So if you have not voted early or you're somebody who has uh, not made up your mind yet from the 4,000 1,723 commercials that have interrupted every television show you've watched in Georgia the last couple months. Um, That guide is available for you that shows uh, from a faith-based perspective where candidates are on the issues, and and these folks will be happy to talk to you about that and put that resource in your hand. But go vote Tuesday. Let's uh, let's see the kingdom of God hopefully be enacted in this community and in this state and across our nation. Amen? Allow me the privilege to bless you before we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you, and grant you his peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I love you folks. Have a great day. See you soon.